Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Round Hill Radio Indeed. It's uh, really a special pleasure today to welcome a guest. Her name is Tanya Campen, and she is the Director of Intergenerational Ministries for the Rio Texas Conference of the United Methodist Church. She's the author of a book. Congratulations, Tanya. It's called Holy Work with Children, Making Meaning Together. And she works also as a coach with Vibrant Faith, an organization that for many years has assisted local congregations throughout our country with their faith formation programs for all ages. And Tanya, welcome aboard. Thank you, Ed. It's so good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So Tanya and I had an opportunity to work together uh, through a pretty substantial part of the pandemic, uh, working with one of our colleagues as we were practicing some of our coaching skills, and we haven't had a chance to connect in quite the same way for a while, so it's really good to see you, and, and we hope you're doing well. Are you all doing okay, and as you kind of emerge through this stage of the pandemic? Yeah, Ed, um, I feel the same. It's so good to reconnect. And yes, we, I think like everybody, are trying to find our way through, um, picking back so up some things that we missed and looking hmm. forward to some new things. But yeah, figure out how to navigate that. But I don't think we're alone. How about yeah. you? No, I, th- I, I would completely agree. We're, we're in this phase of the pandemic. That's what I say. You know, we, we don't know what the next one's going to be, but we hope it's going to be better and brighter than whatever's gone before. So, uh, so really, really great to have you. And I've actually wanted to have you as a guest for quite some time because I'm really very, very deeply interested in this whole process that we call faith formation. And, uh, you know, over the years, it's been called Christian education and spiritual development and spiritual growth. It gets a lot of a lot of different names. But I know that you have dedicated a lot of your life to this process of understanding what form, faith formation is and what it can be. And Tanya, do you have a vision that you try to keep in mind as you go about your work? Oh, that's a great question. And, and absolutely. You know, I think... I, like many faith formation leaders, have been shaped and formed by the work of Fowler, who, um, James Fowler, who kind of, you know, gave us this initial look at what does it look like to grow in faith? And um, if there are stages, kind of what that process looks like. And as I've wrestled with the work of James Fowler and and others and kind of come into my own vision, I like that word, of faith formation, what I really understand is is that it's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I would put people in specific stages like Fowler does, but I think there's elements of that. I think we move in and through those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the gifts that he is looking for, um, I think I look for, but really what I would say to keep it simple is, you know, what does it mean to grow in love of God and neighbor? Hmm. That as we move from day to day, moment to moment, experience to experience, how are we connecting to the divine and all that we do in a way that strengthens our relationship with God, but then becomes an outpouring, strengthening our love of others, of ourselves and others. And so, you know, there's this idea, I, I like to say too, that, you know, the vision of if we get to the end of our life journey, 
you know, if we know who we are, if we know what we believe and why we believe it, and if we have a deep understanding of how God has has and continues to shape that understanding, mm-hmm. that for me is kind of the vision. And that looks different for every person, I think, mm. and it, it shows up differently. Yeah, it's a really beautiful vision. I think this is something that has... Uh, I'm trying to call to mind where I'm remembering this from, but this idea that if you have this moment, you know, towards the end of your life, just as you describe it, this little moment of retrospective where you can look and think, yeah, I I understand these basic things about myself um, in relationship to others, that that's really a gift to be able to get to that point. Um, So it sounds like that's kind of a guiding star for you. Absolutely. And especially with my work with children and then into adolescence, you know, the the greatest gift is if we can help them claim who they are as God's beloved children and help them find ways to respond to that love as they share that love with others. Um, I think that's how the world has changed and God's vision, if you will, comes into fruition is when we are so connected to God and each other in a way that we are doing all we can to share that light and love through our actions in a way that just transforms the world around us. Yeah. Yep. So in the not too distant future, I think that if people, well, I'll I'll just say that people I've worked with in my congregations over the years, if they were asked, so how are we going to make that vision come true? They would say, well, we're going to have a fantastic church school program. We're going to have a Sunday school we're going to get a great curriculum that's going to help us. We're going to help the children, uh, the teachers, right? We're going to give them the great curriculums so that they don't feel like they have to be overwhelmed. And I think that model has been a very powerful model um, over the years. Is it still in place? Is it evolving? Has it completely gone and left the house? And we're not sure what's what's in place. What's happening in terms of the of the practices that are in place to help people move towards that vision. Yeah, um, you know, I appreciate how you said it. it's a very strong uh, model. It's been an, a very effective model for many years, and I would say it's evolving. And in some ways, the model of church school or small groups. Um, is still an important part of faith formation, but we know it's not the most um, critical space. It's not the space, um, the only space. In Mm -hmm. fact, what we're learning and what the pandemic showed us when we could no longer go to church, we could no longer go to Sunday school, we could no longer experience that curriculum, is all of a sudden we were finding ourselves moving through our daily lives and having to ask, how do I connect to God and neighbor now in this life space that I found myself in? Sure. And we found that, um, you know, research has been showing us for years that the most effective place for faith formation is in the home yes. and yep. as led and guided by parents and caregivers. And the pandemic just kind of like really highlighted that reality and showed us that there were some parents and caregivers out there that really knew, you know, kind of felt like rock solid and in doing that work and they Mm -hmm. ran with it. And then others were like, we don't know what to do if we can't go to church on Sunday and have that teacher that you were talking about impart their wisdom on my child. Right. And so we're in this really interesting time where what we know about faith formation 
you know, the Sunday school movement, if you will, started with this understanding of what I call banking pedagogy. Um, if we all kind of pretend our heads are piggy banks and we're just depositing in all the right information, right? <laughs> right. Then we're going to walk out and be perfect Christians because we have all the information. You mean that's well, not right? That's not the correct form anymore? <laughs> We know that it doesn't really work that way, right? We haven't had great success with that. The piggy um, bank is empty. <laughs> yeah, the piggy bank is empty or, you know, we're holding this piggy bank and we're like, I don't know what to do with this. Right. You know, I've yeah. got all this information and I don't know how this shapes or changes my life in any way. And so what we've learned is that um, faith formation is actually an active and relational process. Like we have to participate in it. So while there's some information like through stories and um, coming at us and that we're receiving, there also has to be a, an opportunity for us to process that and to say, what does this mean for me? And how does it impact how I'm going to show up in the world? And so I say all of that as we're trying to figure out what faith formation really looks like now and how do we do that work. And this is a lot of my work in the book that I wrote is um, that we all really are making meaning all of the time. We're taking in information, we're processing it, and then we're finding ways to respond. And in our Christian faith, ideally, we're finding ways to respond to God's grace and love in a way that participates in all that God is doing. And in my tradition, we would say transforming the world. Like we're not just living to live, but we're living to make a difference and to come alongside God as God makes our world better. Sure. And, um, and so with that, I think we have to start thinking about how do we do that work every day? So that means equipping families to do that work every day at home, at work, at school, at play. And so that shifts the model. Then whereas where it was, we're going to come to Sunday school and get all that we need and then and go, maybe come to worship and get all that we need. And we'll go out and do whatever for a week and we'll come back and we'll get refilled. Yep. Um, it shifts the model to this more what I'm like, what I'm talking about more now is that when we're together in community, that's an opportunity for us to model and experience the faith together, especially in an intergenerational community. I can, you know, when I take my son who's three to worship, he can see people praying. He mm. can see, like he's fascinated with um, instruments. He can see the piano getting played and somebody mm -hmm. playing it. Um, we get to participate in communion. And so in that we're seeing the faith modeled, we're invited to practice it. And so then we get to take that with us and say, okay, how are we going to do this every moment of every day until we come back to get some more wisdom and information and experience, if that makes sense. So um, it's no longer coming to church for all my information that's going to sustain me for the week. It's mm -hmm. I'm coming into community to learn about how I can do this and how I can help others do this so that in my everyday living, I everything that I'm doing is shaped and formed by spiritual mm. practices and by my faith. So that sounds to me like a sea change that the model that, and, and I think as you've indicated that may have actually worked, um, or at least it worked for many people over a period of time may not be working as much, partly because we're not even sure that some of our so-called church school families 
will come back, um, you know, to the space. So I guess two questions that are, you know, into the spaces where they can see the piano being played and people praying. So one question I have for you, and maybe it's in two parts. Um, one of those is I'm starting to hear a phrase in relationship to the, the changing um, landscape of Christian education, which is they're not coming back which is a reference to the church school families who've just decided that actually they liked being at home and watching the service online and participating in that way. So they're not necessarily coming back to that old experience of church. And then the other part of it is, um, you know, what I hear from parents, especially during the pandemic, they were saying, well, now everything is coming at us online. And now we're getting more and more faith formation programming that's coming to us online, and it's just too much. We cannot absorb it all. So what are your thoughts, Tanya, about that? First of all, this notion that some people aren't coming back, so how do we stay in relationship with them? Because as you've said, relationships are key. And then the, the second part of it, just, you know, how do, we, how do we help people to get to equip them so they can bring to awareness you know, this connection with God through all the stages in life. I know I'm asking you a lot here, but any sure. piece of that will be great. <laughs> yeah, I can. I'll, I'll take it in your two chunks. You know, the question of, you know, are they coming back or the statement they're not coming back? Um, for me, I have, you know, a researcher brain. And so I get really curious about that. I'm like, well, why aren't sure. they coming back? Where are they? What are right. they choosing to do? Right. So I start just, I just get really curious because... Yeah. That, I think, as we try to, going back to figuring out, you know, this shift in approach to faith formation, I think those kinds of questions are going to help us know as a church and faith community, how do we come alongside and journey with families today? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't, I, I wonder often, is it that they're not coming back or they're not coming back to what was? Mm. Um, or... You know, there's so many of us, and, and I get this, like, so, when we come out of trauma, which all of us have, um, when we're grieving, which many of us are, I would say all of us are in some way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. you know, we want to go back, we lean into that nostalgia, like, we want to go back to what we remember, like, please recreate my Easter service that I missed exactly the way it would have been, right? Because my heart <laughs> needs that. And... If it wasn't effective before, um, it probably is not going to be effective now. So it's, I, I say that because I want to honor the trauma and the grief and the need for that nostalgia. Sure. But what I'm seeing a lot of is, you know, I call them rubber band churches. Like they're going back to exactly what they were doing mm. before mm -hmm. the pandemic. And one, research was showing us overarchingly in Protestant denominations, what we were doing wasn't working. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We were either kind of staying steady or we were dying. We were seeing a decline, especially in my tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and I like to think we learned something in COVID. Like as hard as it was, I like to think that we learned something about God, about our communities, about each other. And so the question for me then comes, what, how can, instead of saying they're not coming back, reframing that and saying, how can we journey with families today? Oh, I love that. How can yep. we support them today? And that speaks to the relationship question. You don't know that until you sit across 
from someone with a cup of coffee or lunch or at a picnic table outside or over Zoom and say, help me understand. Right. Um, mm -hmm. In my work with family faith formation, the things that I've really come to learn that families really do, whether or not they think they do, they really choose their values, what's important to them. And those values then shape and form, ideally, how they spend their time. They, they choose how they spend their time. Now, people would argue with me, um, but we do. We choose how we spend our time. And ideally, we choose how we spend our time on our values based on our values. And so if we can help families identify what's really important, kind of like you asked me that vision question, like what would it look like if we asked all of our families that question mm -hmm. and said, when your children graduate from high school, what is your vision for them? When mm. your children um, are out on their own, what's your vision for them? You know, at their end of, end of life, what do you hope they will have experienced and what do you hope they will know? Um, those kinds of questions help them identify like what's important to them then we can say okay how as a church can we support and equip you in living into those values finding time and all those things so that shifts into your second question yep um really and truly about um you know how we do this work today and i think we're still figuring it out um mm -hmm. and i think it's going to require really letting go of some things that we deeply loved for a very long time and had their place mm -hmm. um and saying you know where are families let's go to them let's figure out how do we do faith formation there and in terms of the you know <laughs> the overwhelm um that parents and families feel i mean i remember there was a point and I, granted i do this for a living but during the pandemic i literally had six boxes on my table my son was not yet one when the pandemic and we when we first sheltered in place yeah. i had six boxes of things that people said that we should be doing while we sheltered in place <laughs> now some of those were faith formation specific some of them weren't you know every time i opened up my phone i would have a link to something you know like order this box order this do this lesson and it is there's so much content out there and mm. so I'm going to loop this back to the conversation we had earlier that it's not necessarily about content. Um, it's saying, okay, families, what's one practice you can fold into your day every day that's going to connect you to God and neighbor? Like it means it's going simple. Right. Um, keeping it simple. It doesn't have to be big and it doesn't have to be involved. Um, you know, for my family, um, we have a liturgy of lighting a candle praying every night at the dinner table. And I feel really good knowing that that happens every night when we're at the dinner table because everything else may not happen. Um, I try, I, you know, we also bless our, pray and bless our son before he goes to bed. But like, what are those little practices we can help our families um, enfold into their daily living that doesn't feel overwhelming? Like when I do family workshops, it's like, pick one thing. Like I have to work really hard not to overwhelm because there's so many possibilities and I get so excited. And I think that's what happens in the church. We're like, you could do this and you could do this and you could do this and we're going to put together a box and you could do a hundred things. Um, let's yeah. start and ask them to do one. 
one of the huge changes that I'm picking up in terms of approach um, from just your reflections with us now, in, in days gone by, the, the Christian Education Committee in the local congregation would sift through a variety of curricula, and that would all be about content, right? And so you'd, it'd walk you through the whole year, and then you'd order the, that, order those materials, and you might give a little workshop for the teachers to get them comfortable, and then off they would go. What I hear you talking about now is having a relationship conversation with the parents and saying, first of all, if I'm understanding you correctly, how can we come alongside you? Because we think this is a shared journey, so we don't want to just leave everybody you know, on their own. Um, but it's just as important to hear from those parents. And I'm just thinking about all the, the meetings I've sat in over the years where you know, it was never considered that we approached the parents and listened deeply to them before we created a practice or offered an idea, but instead we came up with a hundred different ideas and then sort of threw that at people. And I did have a couple of families say to me during the pandemic, you know, thank, thank you for some of the materials that came, came along to us, but we really didn't know how to use them. And they didn't connect with us very well, so unfortunately they just kind of went off to the side. Um, so is that really, am I catching that, that that's a big part of the change, which is to engage these families as learners and teachers, but not in a way that will feel overwhelming, but in a way that will help them to define that simple, rich, consistent practice that can help them to connect with God. Is that all sounding right? Yeah, exactly. Spot on. And I would add to that, going back to what I was saying about what we can do when we're in community now, you know, because now we can be back in different ways. We can be together. So what does it look like if we come together and we pick one of those things out of the box mm -hmm. that the mm -hmm. church has provided and we do it together as a family and we go, oh, this, this is how you do it. Now yeah. I'm going to go home and it makes sense for us to do this at the dinner table, or it makes sense for us to do this um, on a picnic blanket before a soccer game. Um, because I've had an opportunity in community to figure out what this thing is. <laughs> and, sure. And now I can apply it to my daily living. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is that this has to be portable. So sometimes Sunday school didn't always feel that portable, like it was something you did in a classroom. And, and again, it filled up the piggy bank of knowledge, but it didn't necessarily, you know, it's something that could have dropped off soon after you left the church building. Whereas this kind of conversation is portable. You can't have it on the picnic blanket before the soccer game, or you can say there, I think going back to the question that you mentioned very early in terms of the vision, you know, remember who you are, you know, before you go out and do this, uh, you know, dance recital or public event or an athletic con remember who you are and what you represent Does that yeah, make sense amen. absolutely and just giving families those phrases and putting them on a card or a sticker um that whether we say them out loud or we say them as an internal prayer or both it's so simple but yeah. it's so so impactful um, you know, we've been saying <laughs> in our family to our son, you know, a lot of people read the book um, and then they say, we love you to the moon and back. Um, we're a family, a Star Wars family. 
And so I've always said, we love you to a galaxy far, far away and back. And now Luke says that, like, I say that to him all the time. I'll say, how much does mommy love you to a galaxy far, far away and back? You know, and it's, it's those simple things, but those are the, the narratives or in the Christian tradition, the liturgies, if you will, that um, really shape and form us. I mean, of course, we have to be able to experience that love as well. Um, It's not just words, um, but those things go, those things go hand in hand. Tanya, this has been a wonderful conversation, and you've given us a lot of really great directions and perspectives uh, as we continue this journey. So we wish you many blessings, you and your family and all the churches you serve, and we look forward to staying in touch with you and continuing the conversation. Thanks, Ed. It was a pleasure getting to be here. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.